We continue our series now entitled, We Are Wildwood. And we made this comparison. There are other schools that say we are, and then it finishes the name. This is not a series that's designed to say we at Wildwood are. We're saying, God, would you help us become? This is who we really believe you have called us to be or become, and this is really what we believe you've called us to do. And so when we say we are wildwood, this is who we want to be and, who, and this is what we want God to do in and amongst us. And so we said every successful organization has purpose, vision, and mission statements. They may use those words interchangeably, but we use them in this way here. Purpose answers the question, why do we exist? Vision answers the question, who are we ultimately called to be and what are we called to do? And then the mission answers the question, how do we plan to do it? So last week, we looked at that purpose and that vision. The purpose is very simple. It's to bring glory to God. It's to glorify God. That one was already settled for us because we're Presbyterian. We've got all these creeds and and things that we hold on to, which is really, really good and grateful for. But but to glorify God and accomplish his local and global purposes. And we looked at a couple of passages that point that out. And we said vision. What are we ultimately called to do and be? To make is what God wants us to do, to make. Who is it we're called to be? What are we trying to make in here? Mature and equipped followers of Jesus who live with gospel purpose. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make people who have internal maturity. They have the characteristics, the marks of maturity. Only God can do that work inside of our heart, but we're also called to have equipped followers, meaning that they have the skills that are needed to live out this Christian faith, to become ministers, taking this gospel message all throughout the earth. We are called to make them. Now, hear me, and you'll see this here in today's message more so than any other will have. We really cannot do this on our own. Now, we know this. We know to say this in church. Like We've been around church long enough to say, yeah, we know it's supposed to be a work of God. You'll see this here in just a second. We, we really cannot do this without a work of the Holy Spirit. But we are called to make mature and equipped followers of a person, not of a system, not of a religion, not a way of life. We're called to have people that chase after the person of Jesus. And those who chase after the person of Jesus has been my experience over the years. Those who walk with him, who, uh, who hear from him, who are moved and stirred, um, they just want others to do the same. When you have a unique friend, someone who is loyal and, and someone who, uh, who understands, who listens well, who supports in all the right moments, challenges in all the right ways, when you have that person in your life, the tendency is for us to say, well, this is my quote-unquote best friend And I don't want anyone to have the same kind of relationship that I have with my best friend. Here's what happens when Jesus becomes your best friend. You say, I want everybody in the whole world to experience him. Because you talk to others and others say, yeah, I've had the same experience with him. And over the years, he has been so loyal, so faithful, so supporting. He has listened to me like no one else. He has challenged me like no one else. He has loved me like no one else. And when you hear 40, 50, 100,000, 10,000, when you hear other people saying the same thing, 
It kind of gets in your system. I want everyone to experience this. For those who have had dramatic events that have unfolded in their lives and then Jesus has come in and rescued them and and saved them from from, uh, some really damaging things in life, it doesn't take you long to say, this guy is the answer. I want every addict to know about Jesus. When you see people that are riddled with guilt and shame, you know the only person who's going to be able to help them is Jesus. And so I'm not hoping that we at Wildwood build and make mature and equipped followers of Wildwood who live with joyful purposes. We want to see people who follow Jesus. And I would even go so far as to say this. If you can follow Jesus at a different church, then go to that different church. If you can do that better than you can here, well, go to that different church. It's never about how many people stay or how many people leave or how many people come. It's do you follow Jesus? And then once you're connected with him, can you just get other people connected to him? So that's the vision. Now the question comes down to how do we plan to do it? We gave the illustration of any business. We're going to make money. At some point, you're going to ask, what is your plan? So now what is our plan? How do we plan to make these mature and equipped followers of Jesus who will in turn live with gospel purpose? How do we plan on doing that? We plan on doing it through four ways. Three of these you'll hear about today is the first of these three that you hear about. Todd spent an entire uh, the month of June talking about serving freely, um, but today we want to talk about moving hearts. A strategy for making mature and equipped followers of Jesus who live with gospel purpose, the first strategy is we have to have our hearts moved. Now, let me clarify this language. What do we mean by heart? We mean the mind, the will, and the emotions. What we're not just referring to are simply the emotions, the places in which we are affected, the places that we are stirred. That is all good. God gave us emotions. We should use them. Uh, uh, We should experience life as it happens. But we're not referring just to the emotions. We're referring to all three of those, which would make up our spirit, if you will, our soul, if you will, according to the scriptures. It is the heart. It is the centerpiece of man. Both Old and New Testament use this term in the same way. It is the centerpiece of who we are as people. It's our thoughts. It's it's our our desires, our emotions, but it's also our decision-making. All of that makes up the heart. And I just want to draw us to a couple of scriptures we could spend Uh, far more time from Genesis to Revelation, talking about how God fleshes this out for us in his word, but just a couple places to go to that point this principle out. The first one is going to come from Psalm 84, the first two verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. If you uh, are around my age, uh, even a little bit younger, uh, I'm in my early 50s, if you're that age, you're familiar with this organization called Passion. It's a ministry that was birthed initially out of Texas A&M. It it, it, uh, began flourishing. A guy named Louis Giglio uh, was inspired by a vision of a college student, and uh, this college student uh, ended up getting cancer and dying early before the vision was uh, was, uh, seen and fulfilled. 
Um, but yet it's, it's this movement of college students. We want to be one generation that rises up to declare the greatness of God. And if you are familiar with that, then you know this song. How lovely is your dwelling place. Oh Lord, oh my, it's got this great drum beat and it kind of goes on and on and on. Now here's what the psalmist is saying. How satisfying, how, how much contentment I have, uh, how much joy I'm filled with when I am in your dwelling place. When was this written? This was written in a day and age in which God's presence primarily existed in one location. I'm not losing all our theology. God is omnipresent, has always been, always will be. He can be everywhere all the time. But his unique and special presence was limited, if you will, into the tabernacle. It was is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there's some great stories about how the Ark of the Covenant went around in different places. And when it got with folks that, that were not worshipers, then those gods right there were defeated just by the Ark being near. It's, it's really cool stuff. But God's presence was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so once per year, a priest would walk into a very special place where God's presence was. And if he didn't go in in a manner that was uh, right and prescribed, um, then he would die instantly. So they tied a rope around his ankle in case he went in an unworthy manner and he died and they can pull him out with them, without them having to go in so that they would be killed by God's glory. Here's what the psalmist says, how lovely it is when I dwell where you dwell. When I walk into where you are, it's unbelievable. And I can't manufacture it. I can't simulate it in any other place in life. There's plenty of joy, plenty of contentment in other places. It's not that I, that I don't see your movement anywhere else in life, but, but when I'm in your dwelling place, when I'm in your temple, when I'm in your tower, when I am where you are, oh God, how amazing that is. Do you have the same experience? Do you have the same experience when you know you are, you are dwelling with God? Many folks have experienced it over the years, um, student ministries in camps and retreats, mission trips, et cetera. You go and you just experience God in a different way than you normally do. And you meet with him. And you have this sort of spiritual high. Now, what's going on in that spiritual high? Isn't your mind affected? Don't you have clearer thoughts biblical thoughts, thoughts that are centered in on the person of God, his plan, etc. What's going on in your heart? Doesn't there typically be, isn't there more laughter? Aren't there more tears that are given? Aren't your emotions stirred in a way that they're not normally stirred? And I tell me this, what kind of decisions do you make when you're in those environments? Man, all, when we get in that kind of environment, all of us have experienced, we're like, Lord, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all, my home, my money, all my children, anything that you want. It's all yours because you're so incredible and amazing. And then we make it back home. And after about three days of getting back to the norm, we say, Lord, I'm going to take those clothes back. I'm going to take my kids back. I'm going to take all my money back. I'm going to give you a portion. How lovely is your dwelling place? Now, specifically, he's talking about a corporate worship service. 
If you've been to a passion conference, you know what I'm talking about. It's unique. You've had it here at Wildwood, haven't you? Now, not every Sunday. Good grief. If it was every Sunday and you had these mountaintop experiences, none of us would leave. We'd just stay here. Marriage, when you, you know, you first remember this, you first start dating, those first six dates that you went on where you're learning everything about me, you're like, this is the most amazing human being that has ever lived. And this is so, we are so perfect for one another. Like we are going to live in bliss forever. We'll never have an argument because we agree on everything. It's incredible. Right? Sixth year into marriage, you go, I think I still like that person. But your love for your spouse at the end of your sixth year is way deeper, way more mature than your love for them after your sixth date. You're not going to have all of the, 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 the you're not going to get goosebumps. Like I, when I, Judith wakes up in the morning, well, first of all, I'm asleep. Okay, so when I wake up in the morning, Judith doesn't walk in and go, whoo, whoo, David, you're so amazing. That happened in college. Twice. <laughs> so for us now, what do we mean by our hearts? But yes, we mean our emotions are stirred, but we're not talking about some silly, trite little thing. When we come in connection with God, when we get to see our sin who we are in connection with who God is, that he is on his throne, we are down. When we see the depth of that gap or the, the vastness of that gap, when we see how much exactly we have sinned and how much he has forgiven us for, oh, it's emotional. It stirs us. It moves us. The psalmist here is saying, when I'm in your presence, when I get all of those things, I I can't, I can't get it anywhere else in life. He says, my soul, and I love this word, longs. My soul longs. Yes, it faints. It's this deep-seated yearning. It's not just simply, I want. I was with Sawyer a couple nights ago. He's downstairs, it's late, I'm up, it's late. It, and both of us go to the, to the refrigerator and then over to the pantry. We just did a little circle right there. And I just looked at him and said, man, I want something, but I don't know what it is I want. He said, yeah, me too. He couldn't put words to it. I want something. I was like, I think I want something salty. He wanted something sweet. I, it's not a, I, 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 I don't long for potato chips. I may want some Doritos from time to time, and then no one wants to be around me after eating those Doritos. I, I'm not talking about that kind of a It's my soul longs for you like a mother who has struggled to have children, a, 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 woman, who, a woman who's trying to get pregnant. It's been years that's gone on. She doesn't just want children. There's a longing in there. My soul longs, yes, faints. For what? For all these great mountaintop experiences? For, for, for more rules, for more regulations, for, for clarity in, in life? All those are good things in and of themselves. What does the soul long for? For you, God. God. 
That's what we're praying for. That's what we're longing. That's what we're striving for. This is what we want to see God do in and amongst his people here at Wildwood. We want folks to be stirred and moved. We want their souls to long for the person of Jesus. The courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. He says, I get around you and it's just incredible. It's amazing. And I, and I cannot help but respond in such a manner. that I'm just responding to who you are. Turn to one more Psalm. It's Psalm 146. Now you've got the principle, so we won't spend as long um, in, in this one, but um, uh, but you'll see it. Psalm 146, first two verses. Praise the Lord, and notice that there's an exclamation at the end of that. If your Bible does not have an exclamation at the end of that first part of that sentence, you have a bad translation. Trade it in and get a better one. Praise the Lord. He's not saying, praise the Lord. He's not saying, you know, uh, I know. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord! <laughs> oh, I love your faces right now. What, why? What, why have that kind of response? Because it's not just any other God with a lowercase g. It's not some impotent God who cannot meet you, who cannot serve you, who cannot not, not linger in your... It's not just a God who's a wooden statue who's going to do nothing but look good on a shelf. This is the God who created everything that is in existence, who has all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, all view, and at the same time knows how to draw up and draw near to you when you are crying alone. So praise the Lord. <laughs> Unless you haven't experienced that, and then you will. Praise the Lord. But if you have dwelt in his presence, you will praise the Lord. Praise the Lord where, oh, my soul, with every fiber of my being, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Just one thought. Oh, this is great. While I have my being, I will spend my breath intentionally, methodically, responsively to God. Because when I no longer have breath, I'm going to lose the ability here on the earth to declare the praises of God. Now, when we get in heaven, we're going to do this much better. You realize that, correct? Because we're not going to have distractions here on the earth. We're not, we're not going to have our attention drawn somewhere else. We're not going to be in heaven looking around to see if the person three rows over, two chairs in front. Are they going to be a half-hander? Are they a one-hander? Are they going to move and dance? Are we going to be worried about what other... Nobody's going to care what anybody else thinks about what they look like in heaven. It's going to be uninhibited worship. The person of Jesus will take center stage. There'll be no sun or moon or stars. Nobody's looking around to see what other one's doing. We're focused in on the Savior of the cosmos, and we will praise the Lord. So he says, while I've got breath here, I want my whole being to praise God. Not just show up in some good-looking clothes with some other good-looking people 
and sing some really nice songs. Final one. Turn your Bibles, and on this one, we will stand in honor of God's Word as a whole. Luke chapter 24, it's the last chapter in the book of Luke. And we'll read, begin reading in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and he stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened up to us the scriptures. You may be seated. What's the context? Jesus has come back from the dead. All right, so he's been crucified, he died, he's come back from the dead, and he appeared to other people. And he's at this moment right now in which he is walking and making himself. To... Scriptures tell us that he walks up to these two guys that are there, they're sort of down and gloomy, like, man, this is a bummer. I mean, I don't know, I thought he was gonna restore us. I thought, you know. Jesus walks up, says, hey, what you guys doing? Come on, clearly you're, clearly you're a Jew. You understand. Do I have to explain this to you? But uh, he, he's gone. Who? Jesus, the guy that was supposed to do everything for us, he's dead. We held us hope in him. And he says, well, let's just go take a walk. And he goes and takes a walk. And it says that he opens up their eyes. See, God had prevented their eyes from seeing Jesus as he really was. His body wasn't looking radically different than it was here on the earth. He just had a perfected, glorified body, but he still looked like Jesus. God just covered their eyes so they couldn't see who he was for this reason right here. Walking on the road, and it says that he opens their eyes so that they can see Jesus from Genesis all the way through, at that point, would have been Malachi. And he walks them through and he explains to them how every single passage is pointing to the person of Jesus. Do you want to know what the key is to understanding the Bible? You understand that every passage points to Jesus. So he's, open, he's telling them this. And then there's, this dude is not like any other teacher. And so he says, yeah, I got to go. Says, no, please. Come. So he goes in. And then their eyes are opened. They see him for who he is. And then he's gone. What a cruel party trick from Jesus. And then what do they say? Man, when he was teaching the word to us, were our hearts not burning? Now, let me be very clear. I have, a, I understand. I get it. Not only am I a preacher, I'm also a listener. I'm also a learner. I listen to preaching every time someone else preaches right here. I, I, I understand. We as preachers don't always do a great job of holding your attention. I get it. I understand it. But do you know what a mature and equipped follower of Jesus does? They say, regardless of whatever Yahoo is up there in front, it's not really about that individual. It's about this right here being expounded and taught. And it's about you meeting with God. It's about you hearing from God 
who uses deeply flawed human beings, some of which have more gifts or less gifts in the area of holding people's attention. But mature and equipped followers of Jesus say, oh God, burn it within me and then help me become a doer of your word rather than just a hearer only. There are phenomenal communicators out there in churches all across America, huge churches in America, ridiculously gifted communicators who have a lot of people who gather to hear a communicator. Mature and equipped followers of Jesus want to hear from God, regardless of the communicator. Has that been your experience? Is your heart moved and stirred as God speaks to you? You do realize that when preaching is done rightly, when it's done correctly, then it is God speaking to his people. Now, preaching is flawed. Word of God is not. I'm not implying that everything that comes out of the mouth of a preacher is guaranteed to be truth. I have gone back and listened to some of my sermons here at Wildwood and thought, oh, mercy. I said that out loud. Like I studied, spent time preparing this, and I still said that. Now, hopefully when we make egregious errors, we're going to come back to you and apologize. I know Bob Evans has done that over the years. I've done it, uh, others. When we make egregious errors, we'll do that. Would you pray that God stirs your heart, mind, will, and emotions, even through the preaching of God's word? Now, I want to close out our time by giving you what we have simply entitled the culture of. So we're calling one of these documents is the culture of Wildwood uh, worship, and the other one is called the, the culture of Wildwood preaching. Both of these will be available in the resource tab online. And then those of you who like a physical copy of that, just let us know. We'll get you that as a uh, physical copy as, uh, as well. When we say culture, what do we mean? We're, we're primarily meaning this. Um, oftentimes there is a cult of leadership. And don't think the negative, like Jim Jones drinking Kool-Aid kind of weird cult stuff. Think just that everything centers on one person. Like it's, it's all dependent on one individual. That's what I mean by a cult. A culture is where it is a shared value amongst a large group of people. And so what we want the culture of Wildwood worship to be is centered around three things. Number one, it will be God-centered in nature. What do we mean by uh, by our worship services and our music being God-centered? The lyrics in our services must say something true about who God is and about what he does. uh, Do you know that right now, uh, Russell continues to go through, I go through, uh, others um, there are all kinds of, of great songs that are out there, lyric, or, I'm sorry, uh, musically, where the, the music is, is, is wonderful in its arrangement and et cetera. And, and we just don't um, sing them here. We're not going to bash these songs publicly. We're just not going to sing them because they just don't really say a whole lot. It's, you know, oh, Lord, butterflies and unicorns and uh, and we just thank you and man lord we just feel we feel we feel and we just lord we and they said 71 times now again please hear me i'm not saying that those songs have do not have their place and value they do i just we're just not going to put them in our worship service here there's songs that i listen to on the radio that i go i don't want to sing that here it doesn't say really a whole lot about who god is 
It's talking a whole lot about us and about what we do and about how we respond and about how we're going to live. It's good to have one of those in a service, but I think we ought to load up our service with songs to talk about God. So the first thing is songs ought to be God-centered in nature. The weight of the set list is going to be vertically oriented, meaning songs that we're singing to God, about God, rather than horizontally oriented songs that are sung to one another, even if they may be about God. Both have their place. We just want to spend more time on the vertical end here at Wildwood. The second part of what we want to be the culture of Wildwood worship is it to be community-minded. We have a target audience here at Wildwood. The reason we have a target audience is because of the zip code we live in. We did the demographic studies. We said, who are the bulk of the people around here? Who do we need to, to, to be singing music um, that they would be listening to, preaching and, and sharing stories in a way that they would? So do you know the target audience? Here's the dead center of the bullseye. That's a 41-year-old married person with kids. That's, the, that's who the bulk, that's right here in, in 32312. Does that mean if you are 65 that we don't care about you? No, of course, of course we care about you. It just means that the, the target of our music, et cetera, that's who we're trying to go after, the bulk of the people that'll fit that, that category right there. However, if we don't consider the 65-year-old or the 18-year-old, we don't think we're being very biblical. So guess what? Everyone at Wildwood is going to struggle at some point with the music. Everyone will. If you have not walked away from a service in the last year and thought, you know, that just really wasn't my cup of tea, then we haven't done our job. We've been too centered in on one group of people. And if we did music that only college students loved and we got a whole bunch of college students here, great, fantastic, but let's let RUF do that on the campus at FSU. We want to have a church that's comprised of 80-year-olds to 8-year-olds, eight 8-month-olds. Eight and if you're in your 90s, yes, we still love you. Everybody at some point ought to get a tad bit lost because it's not their preference. And everybody at some point ought to go, man, that was so rich. But we want everyone striving towards the end of saying, God, whatever the music is, I just want to declare your praises. So you have got to move my heart. The needs of all people in all ages and all stages of maturity is considered when we're doing this. The third part of this is this. It wants to be wholehearted. The, mar the heart, the mind, will, and emotions, now listen, is intentionally and unapologetically pursued in our services. From time to time, we'll have uh, uh, gatherings who will say, you know, that song was a really great song. I'm not sure that the arrangement really got across the heart of that song, though. That song could have been so stirring. And you know what uh, uh, many are afraid of? We don't want to, to do a song that says, well, now you're just manipulating the congregation emotionally. Yep, you would be if the song didn't say anything. But when the song says something true and you arrange it in such a manner that you hit this particular line and you explode in your mind, your heart emotionally, that's a good thing because you're responding to something that is true and right. It's wholehearted. What we don't want to do is just simply arrange things that have this great emotional response, but don't say anything. 
God-centered, community-minded, and wholehearted. Now, these in preaching will go very fast. Five aspects of the culture of Wildwood preaching. What do we want to see? What do we want everyone at Wildwood to come to expect in the preaching? Number one is the gospel itself. At least in kernel form. If you do not hear the gospel every week at Wildwood, we're doing something wrong. Again, at least in kernel form. The heart of the gospel is this. I can't. You can. The heart of the gospel is uh, uh, Jesus does. It's not necessarily walking through all four aspects you know, of, of of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. It's not walking through all of that every time. Um, But do you walk away from a sermon going, yeah, man, that is so great, and I don't need Jesus to put that into practice. If you walk away from a sermon and say, I can do all of this without Jesus, I have failed you as a preacher. My job every week is to tell you, oh, in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. Outside of Christ, you're just a dud like me. So the gospel should come about every week. Number two should be humility. Preaching should be done from a vulnerable and a transparent posture. And while it may not be warranted in every week and every single message, the preachers here ought to be preaching in in many ways, drawing attention to their own personal weakness. Because I need Jesus and you need Jesus. And the best thing I can give you in a service is Jesus. So hopefully you're hearing that model from people who haven't mastered the Christian life. You're hearing it from people who just simply have more time to study and prepare and to tell you what it is that God is saying. I am no more or less spiritual than you are because I'm a preacher. I've just been given a task, and that is to bring to light what it is that God has said. But I struggle with the same exact sins that you do. And so did Billy Graham. And so did Charles Spurgeon. And so does every other preacher who has ever existed outside of Jesus. Number three is respect. Respect for the believer and the unbeliever alike ought to mark the tone and wording of our messages. When we speak about the political world, for example, we ought to be speaking in a respectful manner. We don't have to agree with anything. We certainly don't have to agree with everything. But we ought to be speaking in a manner from the pulpit that upholds the the dignity of every human being, that every human being, regardless of race, religion, or creed, regardless of philosophy, every person is made in the image of God and therefore is worthy of respect. And so hopefully when we speak, hopefully we speak the truth. And when it comes time to to share things that are hard to hear, hopefully we don't draw back from that. We speak those things that that are hard to hear. But, but, but Lord willing, we're going to do that in a manner that's going to uphold the dignity of all people, regardless of whether we agree with them or not. Can I give you an invitation? It's a sincere invitation. Anytime you hear me not do that, please let me know. If you hear me degrading other people in the process, please let me know, because that is so counter to the Bible. The Bible is hard on sin but it offers a very soft landing spot for sinners. And that is the cross of Jesus. So hopefully we're going to do the same in that. The fourth one is this, it's a Trinitarian message. While it may not be obvious in every sermon, 
uh, it'd be more obvious than others. Uh, hopefully you're hearing about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in each and every message. Each one has a role to play in even the fulfillment of this particular, um, of each message that we would share. So hopefully um, you'll hear that. We want to be um, uh, God-honoring, meaning that the glory of God is the chief end of every sermon, Christ-centered, Jesus is the hero of every passage, and spirit-filled divine powers needed to become a doer of the word. The final part of this the culture of Wildwood preaching, number five, is this. Hopefully we're bringing to you application. Very clear, rather than confusing ways in which you can take next steps. The Bible was not written, says Howard Hendricks, the Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity. It was written to change our lives. And so hopefully we can help guide you in some thoughts on how it is that you might put it into practice. But at the end of the day, a preacher cannot tell every person how they should put it into practice. The Holy Spirit will tell you what he wants you to do with it. So hopefully we'll give you some guidance along the way. This is what we're striving for. That in every service you are moved by God. Move from a delusion of hope and self to the certainty of hope in Christ. Move from the delusion that this world is going to have everything that you need in order to be ultimately satisfied to the certainty in the life that is to come will provide all that your soul is looking for. What I'm asking that you to do is that you would pray, God, move me every single Sunday.